it costs nothing to be nice. Like, being nice is the ultimate thing, I think. And just being like, you know what, you can make someone's day worse, you can make someone's day better, what one do you pick? It's like, it's an obvious option. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the 30-something podcast. It's a wee bit too late to say Happy New Year, but this is our first episode in 2020, and what a time to bring it back. Everyone else is talking about what's going on with the pandemic, so you guys certainly don't need me to go into that. With the first episode of 2020, I sat down with Lewis Andrew. Now, Lewis is somebody I went to school with, and Lewis has been in the music industry for, it must be the last... 12, 13 years in bands. The first ones he started off with were a band called Cassidy, then his second band called White, and his third band, Moy, are just about to start. So things we discuss really are the music industry, how it's changed over the years. I don't know if it's because of the career I've chosen in social media that somehow the conversations with guests always come back to it, but it is such a huge thing in the music industry now that we kind of talk about that a little bit as well. We also talk about how you stand out now, what bands need to do, what they did do, Lewis's experience in that world, the learnings he've got, he's taken away from it. And along with his band, he also runs a wee street market for various local companies that do like crafts or baking and that sort of thing. And he runs that twice a month. And it's a real sort of cool community vibe that he brings to it. Hit subscribe. If you're listening to it and you're really enjoying it, please share it on your Instagram story or wherever else you're comfortable doing that. The best way to kind of promote this podcast is through word of mouth. And if you're loving it, then please let people know. Anyway, let's go right on it. Lewis, thank you for coming on the podcast. Thank you. Again, this is in round two. For the first time. Yeah, this is a unique experience. Not been here before. I mean, for anyone listening, me and Lewis did this before. But I may have messed up the sound and Lewis being a musical sound whiz. I think we have four microphones running this time. So we're back. We so you, if anything, you kind of know how this goes. I know how it goes, hit you me. You do. So yeah. <laughs> I'm actually quite excited to hear the story again. We might pick up on some new things. Yeah. But for the listeners, as this is their first time, can you just first off give a wee background about yourself? Yep, uh, my name's Lewis Andrew, and I am a music producer, a songwriter. I've been doing that since I was about 17 or 18. I left school, went to study music at university, and got through about a year and a half there before the band I was in at the time, Cassidy, got signed. And so I left university to pursue that. That's something new already. I didn't know you left university yeah. to go through things with Cassidy. Yeah, so I, I've not actually... They, they they gave me like a you can come back once you've like tumbled and stuff like that and you, you can come back and finish off your degree but I'm not entirely sure if uh, I'm not drawn towards doing it I mean uh, you learn what you needed on, on yeah. the roads I mean the, the aim is to achieve something so great that they would make me like a doctor like they, they just you know how they do that yeah. But they just go like, oh, make him a doctor. Yeah, yeah, I'd yeah. be like, yeah, I'm a doctor in music now. Yeah, get your honorary doctorate. That's that's the kind of, the end goal that I have. That's, so no temptation to go back and sit in a class and learn it all. I don't think so. I mean, sometimes I'm like, you know what? I, 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 I don't think I know everything that I can know about recording. I'm sure I could 
pick up things and you pick up things from everyone, whether it's with songwriting, recording, um, just like life things. Like see if someone's like, oh, have you tried this, this fitness class? Have you tried this? this diet have you tried this like uh this plug-in in the in the studio have you tried like all, all these things like just by talking to people and getting to know people you find out new stuff so I'm sure there's something probably to be said about returning back to education but I'm not sure if I could bring myself to it well I guess interestingly let's say hypothetically you left exactly halfway through your degree so after two years if you were to go back now you'd then be going into third year and yeah so you'd be hanging out with the youth of tomorrow yeah and you know what there was a couple of older guys in my class at uni mature students yeah, yeah. like and I was just like what are they doing here like they I didn't I didn't know if they maybe they got held back at school or something but because <laughs> yeah, yeah. I just thought you go into uni when you're 17 18 19 oblivious to the fact that people continue doing degrees <laughs> when they get older so so yeah, I I could go back. Um, I, I think I would definitely just need to be like, I've got nothing on and I'm so lost for what to do in my life. I, I think that's where I would go. Yeah. I mean, it's quite funny. We were talking about TikTok very briefly because you work in the music industry. Obviously, that's playing a big bit in music. I bet you all of them oh, would know about TikTok. They'll know all about that. That's. I guess I could go and learn a little bit about how the kind of younger generation works. Because yeah. everything's a scary so, thought. so different. Even sometimes when you talk to people five years younger than you, ten years younger than you, you're, and you try and make references about like Jurassic Park or something, and nobody <laughs> gets it, and you're like, "What? This is it feels like yesterday." But um, but everything everything just moves so quickly now. Even things like TikTok and like the way that like Vine was, and even the way that Twitter is, everything is just like. There's a thing for an instance, and then and then it's gone. You know, people move on to the next trend, yeah. the next fad, whatever. It's totally crazy. Yeah, I guess things had more longevity back back in our day. Again, for those listening, me and Lewis actually went to school together. Yes, we did. Then you moved into musical education. Yes, University of West of Scotland, which was a campus in air, which at the time was nothing more than like a wooden shed in air. I think it still is. Oh, and it's it's amazing now. I, I went there like, oh, maybe three, four years ago because I was looking for a guitar player for something. I, I was looking for the shed and I was like, I can't find this thing. And there was just this like new space age building. I was like, I'll just jump in there and try and try and find the campus. And that was the, that was where it is now. And they've got like amazing studios with awesome equipment. And I, I know the guy who runs the course that I went on and I was looking for a guitar player at the moment, at, at, at the time, sorry. And I was just like, we were asking about kind of unis and music courses, just in case there's like some pure prodigy that you're like, oh my God, you're the best. Yeah, I didn't yeah. find uh, him in air. I went there and the the guy who runs the course was like, I'll help you out if you help me out. And I was like, oh my God, what is this yeah. Hannibal Lecter-esque situation? But he, so so he was like, I've got a class upstairs that would love to hear from you. And I was like... Really? So I had to go and give a lecture on the spot, which which was quite interesting to see how or, or like see a bunch of bands. And you know, like, there's a couple of people in that lecture who are now kind of playing in bands that are kind of okay, now yeah, cool. working the kind of circuit in Glasgow and, and Edinburgh and stuff like that. So that's, that's quite cool. And they remember you as the guy who came and given him impromptu lecture. I really don't know. I, I, I've 
I've not brought it up, like, <laughs> but uh, I hope not. Because I, I don't think it was terribly good. Right. <laughs> what did you speak about? Yeah, probably not far off what we were talking about. Just like what what I did, how to get there, and then they would ask me questions that I didn't know the answers to. Oh, that's good. Um, which was unfortunate, like. Because we've been quite fortunate in that the projects that we've done, we've kind of they've kind of excited the right the right people at the right time. So from not far off the get go, we've had a kind of booking agent involved, or we've had like a press agent involved and management involved and whatnot. And so and people would be like, "How how do you go about booking a tour?" And I'd be like, "I actually don't know how you do that because all I do is just write write and record, write yeah. and record, write and record and perform." So I don't really know as much about the ins and outs of the heavy grind that people have to go through. Maybe if they don't have uh, something that has sparked an interest that has has got them stuff booked up. But I know that if you if you write an amazing track and then uh, get it out there and there's a buzz about it, you'll get booked for shows. You'll receive emails from record labels. You'll receive emails from publishing companies and whatnot. Yeah. And, um, they don't teach that in college. That's not no. how you get booked, I'm sure. No, you know what? More. Like at, at uni, they were. Um, it, it was actually kind of different, weird, because while I was in my second year of uni, they'd be like, "Okay, so you send your music out to the record labels, and they they will want to maybe arrange a showcase, and then you book a showcase, and you should perform like this and talk to them like that and all that." But while we were learning these lessons I was I was doing showcases and just down the lane here and it wasn't really all the same as what they were teaching at university okay. and which was the point where I was like I'm just not entirely sure if I'm taking on the, the the correct education here to to move myself forward because I feel like if you just go out and do it it's it's, it's a lot better than talking about doing it well in uni it's all theoretical to a point right they're basing oh, totally. it on maybe what the majority of people have done and that's not the right journey for everyone. No, everyone's journey is totally different. Totally different. Like, you, we've got this, my band and uh, there's a guy across there who's got a band. Different music, different style, different live performance. We're going to take completely polar opposite journeys through the through the kind of growth process just because just it's... It's not the same style as music. Like if if you're writing pop music, you're gonna have a different journey to if you're playing in a heavy metal band. Mm. Imagine one's more fun than the other. Yeah. Uh, oh well, I I I reckon they can both probably be pretty fun. Yeah. I guess it depends what music you enjoy playing and what you're passionate about. Uh, yeah, because because a lot of kind of pop music now is it 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 can almost be done without even leaving the room. You can sit, record a song, put the song online take the photos, like, be active online, have the song just grow without even leaving. Um, whereas maybe, like, maybe a band or maybe something that's a wee bit more, like, you need to experience it, you'll have to go out and tour it and like, really kind of speak to people face-to-face a wee bit more so. As we were talking about TikTok, that track, Old Town Road. Uh, Little Nas X. Yeah, that, that, that was a TikTok track. Oh, I didn't actually know that. And it was, it was huge before... And there was just, I think it was a video that he stuck up from the studio before they'd finished the song. So before the song had been finished, it had gone viral already. And you're just like, that's wild, man. It's quite hard to 
Yeah, I that understand is, that. That's... Sure, well, when you've been in the industry for a while before that whole social media oh, no, side of totally. music kicked off. It's, it's totally, totally different. Um, well, so to the start of your journey then, Cassidy, your first band. Yes. You started up when you were in university. Yeah, about 18 or 19 I started playing in it. By the point you left, was it successful or you guys were like, this is going <clears> somewhere? <throat> or kind of back to what you said where you were like, this education is not right, which... No, it was... Uh, so we... We definitely grafted for quite a wee while in the studio, just writing songs and rehearsing. And I've looked at old footage of us at the time and we're dreadful at the time. So I have no idea how we managed to pull it off, but we got signed to Mercury Records, which is part of Universal. Mm. Um, and at that point, like whenever we got signed, like the guys in the band quit their jobs and I quit university. Uh, Cause I was like, I just want to do this. 100%, which I think is the wise decision to make if you've got an opportunity there. We did kind of just build it quite naturally. We toured up and down the UK. We did what you call kind of toilet tours, just playing in little pubs and like it could be 80 to 100 capacity people and maybe two people will come and see you. Like we've played shows with literally two people in the audience <laughs> and it's just like cool. But you know what? Those two people came to see us. We're going to put on it unbelievable show for these two people all the way up to thousands of people come to see us and it's the same attitude you got to just be like these people came to see us play so you got to put on an unbelievable show um so what what was that journey like and i don't mean like step by step how did you get there how was it for you seeing it grow from two people to a thousand people like i i would always have a pessimistic view on the audience like i remember we played at the venue the barrelands in glasgow before every gig, I'd just be like, there's nobody going to be out there. There's nobody here. Like, even though you can hear them roaring, you're just like, yeah, but it's probably a tape that the sound man's playing to make us feel better or something was, like that. Was that like a fear thing? So you weren't disappointed? I think, think at the time, I would always kind of be pessimistic so that either if it, if it goes badly, you're you're not let down because you're like, ah, I've seen that coming. But if it goes well, then it's like, oh, wow. <laughs> Never in my wildest dreams would I think that would happen. And did you get that when you stepped <clears throat> out and saw the crowds? Yeah, yeah. Well, we, at, at the time we were playing those shows, we would sell it most of the shows that we would play. And even when you know it's sold out, you're like, aye, but the weather's bad and maybe people's cars didn't start. And like, it, it, you just tell yourself everything. Was that everyone in the band? Because that's maybe a naturally no, Scottish it's, mentality Yeah, sometimes. no, no, no. It, it, was, it was mainly me. It, it, it's a it's a weird one because you don't really go like wow this is what this is growing and this is doing all these things that are cool like because you're just constantly working it because no matter what size you get to maybe you could start off playing in front of two three people and you could be like get such a buzz from that which you can mm. and then maybe like 20 people come to the next show and you You've got to just be like, you know what, 20 was cool, but you know what's cooler? 40. You know what's cooler? 80. You know what's cooler? 150. You know what's cooler than that? Like 300 people. And and we'd always have goals to be like, whether it was audiences, we'd be like, you know what, let's try and aim for this venue because this venue has a cap of like 400 people at the time. Mm. Or this venue can hold 750 people. Let's try and do that. And we'd just focus all our energy on that and... I guess for you guys, the job remains the same. You know, you're playing the songs, you're playing the band, whether it's two no, people it or a thousand people. Is there a pressure or, as you said, you wanted to fill the capacity. But for you guys, how did you do that? 
Um, did you have to up your game in the shows? Did you have to up your promoting yourselves? I mean, well, it, it's funny because it's like the at the start of it, you always have to push a lot harder than whenever the ball starts rolling, even though it shouldn't be like that. But once word of mouth starts kicking about, then more and more people are talking about your band. More and more people are like, oh man, I went to go see this this band, Cast or White or Moy. And it's it's amazing. And you should come with me next time. And it, it kind of grows quite naturally from there. Or now with social media, you can see as it grows, there's not really much you can do other than just keep up what your maximum output can be. Mm. So whether that's working on your social media or whether it's playing an amazing show. But I mean, in, in Casty, we would start with, you've seen us, the four acoustic guitarists. Mm. And uh, our singer would like hit a thing on the ground that would make a kick drum sound. And that was our band for a good couple of years until we got a drum player, a, a drummer and a bass player to join the band. And we would start the show with the same sort of thing, acoustic guitar, but halfway through the show, during a big kind of epic song, the drummer and bass player would come on and it's just like... And you'd get a real like, whoa, this is next level to what I've seen before. So that then became just a very exciting show to go and see. And it was very high energy. We had an amazing sound man and we had a lighting guy. And I'd always just be like, you know what? Sound man just make it so loud that you can't talk to each other in the audience. It's just so loud it almost hurts. And this lighting guy just flash the lights so much and just go insane. You almost want to make it feel like an experience instead of just like, oh, I'm watching these four musicians play music. You want it to be like, Whoa, what is this? Oh, it's loud and my eyes are sore. <laughs> like sensory overloads. Totally. Yeah. And uh, so, so we kind of take that route and have done in, in the previous band as well. I think whenever you've got something exciting, even if you've seen it once, it's, it's, I guess it's like an amazing movie. It's like you can go back to an amazing movie and you can go and watch it again and be like, oh, that's so good though. Like you, you could, you could, the set movies I've, I've watched like 10 times or more or documentaries or something. Yeah, yeah, and you're good. just like, you always get something from it. And obviously with music, we can swap up the set list. We can change the our, like the clothes we wear. We can change the backdrop. We can change the kind of, the, the the dynamic of the set in, in the live capacity, at least. With previous conversations we've had with what you're doing with your new band, there's been quite a strategic sort of approach to mm -hmm. that. Now, Moy will go into more detail, mm -hmm. but when we previously spoke, you know, you spoke about how it was a little leaks here, little teases here. You weren't, you were giving people a taste to build interest. Did you have that knowledge back in the cast day days? Is that something that came with time? Um, no, we always had, for all the bands that we've played in, we've always started off with it kind of seeming maybe like a mysterious thing. With Casty, we didn't, uh, all the you only have so much to play with. You've got recordings and you've got photos that you can use on the internet really and videos and we would just stick up photos where you couldn't really see who we were but you could kind of get an idea of dark photos but there's guitars and stuff like that so it set a mood already that it was music for a starter mm -hmm. as we evolved that we'd maybe stick out videos without sound on them but with a very busy audience and these could be shows that could just be filled with our friends to be fair but you you can kind of People the, don't know anyway. Yeah, yeah, of course they don't. They see a video and then that got people interested in it. And then with the Van White, we we didn't really want 
anyone to know who was in the band because we wanted it to be completely an, an, another project cast and and sometimes people can just be like oh it's just that band's new band um because there's three members of us in this new band we again took a very kind of mysterious approach as to what it was all about until we released our first single and that got attention and we got signed off of that and then as as we play shows and whatnot people are like all oh, right wow and and the aim was to just make the show so amazing that you're just like this this is um this is like i don't even know who the band are but whoa this is this is amazing and this is just kind of getting the songs right and getting the performance right and getting photos right the clothes right like everything needs to be so spot on the money i think with white we definitely thought more about that process mm. and then implemented it and, it and it worked out with moy we're kind of just the way that social media and just like the generation of people who we will be kind of going towards it's just so different now so we need to kind of take a little bit of a slow approach or we're taking a little bit of a slow approach to just be like what on earth is the best method of attack here because it's not the same as you fire a song out there you get your friends that are in a bigger band to like repost it Mm -hmm. maybe nme writes an article about it and boom 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 and then you've gone into it because like a lot of these things don't exist anymore so it is mainly all just a social media kind of bubble. Like from the last band, White, there was music blogs were the way to go into it. And there was mm-hmm. thousands of music blogs and they have quite a lot of kind of traction. But there still are music blogs, but not nearly as many as like a few years ago that are kind of seeing a lot of visitors and are kind of breaking acts in that sense. So it's trying to figure out the best the best way to do it. And where's your hunch at the moment of where it might be? I think that it is a very hard process to to get something to snap like that now. And I think that it's more you just need to graft a great deal more. Even if you've got something amazing that you believe in and that people believe in, I feel like you still need to graft so much harder than ever before do you not think it's more accessible maybe people aren't doing it the right way because you said everything has to be right what you're wearing what you're doing maybe who you know but i i don't know about you every now and again when i'm swiping through let's say instagram for example one of the guys or girls who appears in my instagram story or my feed you know they're playing like a wee clip of their song and it's like go to my soundcloud or listen to spotify and stuff like everyone you know scroll right past yeah. So that blanket approach maybe doesn't work, or it does. What are your thoughts on that? Because that, because that's I think people it, getting themselves out there, getting them listened. So the middleman's gone. They don't have to find yeah, someone to promote the music. Totally. So I would have thought that'd make it easier. Everyone can do it now. That's the thing. It's not like you've got oh this band, they've got the record label, they've got the PR team. Like we can make an advert right this second for an imaginary thing. And if we put money into it, we sell something. We we could probably think of something right now to make and sell. And we could, I, I reckon by the end of the night, we could have sold one of them. Yeah, make socks, create a Shopify page and yeah. sell three pairs tonight. Yeah, I reckon that it's totally, totally possible. Because everyone's pure amazing with technology now as well. Kids do it, adults do it, middle-aged people do it. It's just like, it's, it's almost the norm a little bit to just like, 
exists so hardcore on the internet and it's like if you have a thought your thought can go in, out there and it can become something that the whole world can hear now mm. but the hard thing about that is that you're you're in a sea of all the other people you can which which i think music can get lost in there and i think that art can get lost in there so unless it kind of strikes the the right chord it's, it'll be pretty hard to grow like i see a lot of things on instagram um that are like pure hey so you need to get your song heard by more people where you're doing it wrong here's what you should be doing buy my program and i'm yeah, like people can't do it or sell in courses yeah yeah i know and so i'm like and then you look at the songs that they've done and you're like ah, like <laughs> yeah I've seen. he's probably the right approach to sell the idea like it's almost like the that that movie the secret where they're like oh the secrets made me so successful but then you re you see what they've done and they're like i wrote a book about the secret like, yeah yeah <laughs> it's like I, I, you can easily prey on someone's hopes and dreams oh you want to be a musician here's the secret it's, yeah you want I to mean, be a marketer here's realistically the secret. there isn't any secret uh, the, the only secret i know is you've just got to write good songs and record them good and play them well and have good photos <laughs> well, well so i don't want to prove you on some because you said you're still trying to figure out what the right way of doing it is because we've covered so many people are doing it yeah and promoting on social media but earlier you said social media is kind of the bubble now so what the hell do people do to break you, you above know, the noise and that's good for you, any industry you've got it you got to just i think you've got to batter away at everything it is true about any industry say if you're owning a restaurant and you could have the best food in the world you know there's a cafe down the road here called jadandi's awesome food cool cafe such a nice place to go to but they they don't do anything on social media they're really high up on the TripAdvisor list of successful kind mm -hmm. of places and cool places to go in glasgow but for some reason every time you go in you're the only people sitting in there but then there's a cafe uh just pretty much opposite it called cafe strange mm -hmm. brew yeah which the girl has been so amazing at branding like it's when you see everything on like her social media platforms it looks amazing the food's amazing the i don't spend much time in their social media but i think i was recommended them so that was word of mouth yep. and i had such a good meal that i keep going back and having the same thing yeah so it's kind of what you said before everything has to be right so it's like that's you heard about that through word of mouth i heard about it just from living in the area and kind of nipping in there and just being like and kind of just becoming friends a little bit and then seeing how it grows but the amount of people that come here to just go there to try the foods i'm like and i think it's amazing because she's totally grafted the hell out of that cafe and it's now a total brand that a lot of people know at least around glasgow i mean i guess we're having a larger conversation that people are having across the world of how do you grab people's attention? How do you succeed? How do you get there? I know, it's, it's a shame. Like, I guess, because there's, there's places that open, it's nothing to do with music or anything, but there's, because I also have the mark, a market that I run in the lane. I run a market called Park Lane Market uh, twice a month. It's just a kind of pop-up market for makers and creators and, like, people who craft stuff to come and sell their stuff at, at like, cheapest chips for a hire of a stall. And we just have a kind of cool environment around here. So I kind of, I like to kind of keep in the know of 
the shops and whatnot mm. that are about and we'll nip by and give them flyers and and, and things. And it's funny, you can see the places that you're like, this is an awesome place and this is place, this place is going to do well. But then you can also see the places that you're like, this is going to struggle. And and most of those places will shut down after a year or something because they're not turning any profit over. And, and so it's like, if you're not hitting on these, it's the same as if we write a song that it might sound great, but it's not that great a song. You can sometimes, that song can sometimes carry you because the quality of it is just good enough that you're like, oh, I'm listening to a professional sounding song here. But if you've got the best song in the world and it's not recorded well, it might not carry you that far because you're real. in, in the end of it, everything's got to be perfect. It's like I'm sure with Slaters, if you were making, if you were making crap suits or the quality of them was poor, mm. that even if you've got your social media flying, you're, it's, the the name is going to be tarnished by that. If you're if you are known as this suit making empire, and uh, people know about it, but you're wanting to expand it, then your social media is going to expand it. Like, but you're kind of hitting everything. You've got the quality. You've got you're now like working on the socials. You've got like the products amazing. Price point's going to be good. It's it's just like. The whole package needs to be there. This you is a great plug for Slaters. I've not paid Lewis to say this, but yeah, I might I after. <laughs> <laughs> well, so we're talking a lot about hypotheticals. I mean, I don't think you're wrong. I think it, to succeed, you need to be pretty much 10 out of 10 and everything. Or And is that your experience? You've had two pretty successful bands with Cassidy and White. Was everything perfect for them? Is that why? No, not even. So I think... The songs were were pretty on point, I think. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked. That's the most important thing. Then, but we've definitely made a lot of mistakes. Like we, I remember with Casty, we used to just dress in whatever clothes we were wearing at the time, and we would have a we we had a review that was like, oh, these guys just look like homeless buskers, and it kind of made everyone kind of panic a wee bit, and and they were like, oh, you gotta uh, change your clothes and try something a wee bit sharper and all this. And so we did a music video where we're all wearing suits. Then from that, we just kept wearing suits. We were like, these are kind of cool. And they're a wee bit sharper. As we grew, we noticed that the age group of our audience was increasing. So we would have an audience of kind of 17, 18, 19 year olds, quite young folk kind of like jumping about and having a good time at the shows and whatnot. And I don't know if it's a mix of necessarily the clothes we were wearing, maybe the music we were releasing, but our audience just became a great deal older and as what, time progressed. Were like, you, you mean you were pulling more people in or you were actually losing the younger people? I, I guess I don't really know because we were playing bigger shows. So there's more, a larger amount of people in the room. Mm-hmm. But um, from being like just seeing a bunch of kind of young kids at the shows to having like sometimes 60, 70 year old women at the shows and they would kind of have a strange, sometimes have a strange connection with us where they almost were like, we are your grannies. And it would be a really odd kind of thing. That's why I have a weird name on Facebook because they would just try and add us all the time. And really? <laughs> yeah, it was a strange, strange... So uh, they were actively saying to you they felt like 
your grannies. Well, not necessarily. They didn't say we're your grannies, but it's like, oh, you're like our wee boys and all that. And like they'd like sometimes give us presents and and or like I've got so many knitted jumpers <laughs> that I've had over the years of just I'm just like, oh, why are the the audience up here? They're not throwing the bras on stage. They're throwing like knitted jumpers <laughs> on stage. I was like, ah. Oh. So I mean, very passionate audience and. Like we had people getting tattoos, like people in their fifties and sixties getting <laughs> tattoos. Were you guys happy with that? Was it? Oh, we've got an audience. We should be grateful. Yeah, or were you no, like... so, I, mean, I mean, you're happy for if anyone is listening to your music, it, that's amazing. You know, like, did it make you want to change your identity though, or did you guys go? No, nah, we didn't really think like that at the time. Realistically, we probably could have changed it up and done something a wee bit kind of more contemporary but but we didn't we didn't do any of that we, we just were like we're writing songs and we're recording songs and we liked music from the eras that these people probably fucking love music from so so we just kind of went with what we enjoyed doing um instead of looking at it and being like oh well to capture the younger audience we'll have to do this and change this and wear this and all that we, we didn't get into all that mm-hmm. We just kind of go with what feels good and what sounds good and what we're into at the time. And most of the time it works out. Sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes you completely miss the shot entirely. But you know what? If you don't take any shots, if you don't try anything, then you're going to miss all the time. (laughs) So you guys obviously had an idea of your identity, what you wanted. I'm basing this on recent movies like the Queen one, the Elton John one. Do you get much control or demands from the record label or managers or you know the Mm -hmm. outer parts of the band itself you you can count yeah you totally can the best way to avoid it is to be so solid in what your vision is see if there's like a tiny little inkling of oh i don't know what kind of video to do here oh i don't don't know what, what kind of music we should produce It'll be like, here's some producers to go to. You should go with this guy because he did this. And and uh, even with the first Cast Day album, we were recording everything with a guy, Thomas McNeese, who recorded everything that we've ever done, really, in Cast Day. And uh, we loved the recordings. It's the recordings that got us signed. Like, they sounded good. And we went with a, a big-time producer who was known for doing debut albums. He'd, He'd done, he's called Jim Abyss, he'd, he'd done Arctic Monkeys debut album. Was this after Thomas? Yes. Rocket. Okay. you tried somebody else. Yeah, we tried okay. somebody else for our first album because, I mean, he's he's got like Arctic Monkeys, Kaiser Chiefs, Adele, Kasabian. Like at the time, it was like he's the guy to go to for sure, debut yeah, records. Yeah. And it just didn't necessarily work out in the way that we left thinking that's awesome. This is, this is something we're really proud of. We didn't like it too much. We spent like 100 grand recording it. But we ended up shelving it and just going back to Thomas's studio and recording the album again. So, what's happened to that music then? The one you shelved? Oh, it's on, on the computer somewhere. Like, uh, it's, it's very much the same songs. Uh, and a couple of, like, I think the last track on our, our the first debut cast the album that, that was recorded with Jim and another song was with another guy. But <clears throat> the majority of it is just us. <laughs> Late nights in Thomas's studio. So you guys spent a hundred grand, did all the music, and just because you're unhappy with it, you didn't put it into the world just because it didn't feel right. Yeah, and and we were quite passionate about that, and 
and we were like, you know what, we'll go and record it again in the record label. We're happy for us because I mean, are they the ones who put up the money? No. So they, whenever you sign a deal, at least I hope it's not changed, but they <laughs> uh, they give you a, an advance that you spend that so you can spend money on like recording or touring or whatnot, mm. and then through record sales you recoup the money from the advance. Um, so from our advance we spent like a hundred grand of that mm. on our our first album. I can't remember how much Thomas got paid for the first album, but it could have been like ten grand or something like that. And the results were just so much better to me personally and to us as a band. And and the album did kind of exactly what it needed to do. It got people out there. People were buying it. We sold quite a lot of them. So you mentioned, obviously, you spent the hundred grand. You tried someone else. It's not necessarily a mistake. It was just a an experiment. Yeah, and something I always like covering in this podcast is lessons throughout the career in music so far. Has there been like one big red flag moment? An overarching idea of not necessarily jumping the gun, not going like, "Oh, let's just put this out there. Let's do this. Go, 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 go." Because if it doesn't, if it doesn't work, you've kind of t- already taken a shot, and you're already out there in the world. You know, it's it's good to just kind of sit back and think about things because the devil's in the details of everything, whether it's videos or looks or songs, recordings, with music, the devil is in the details because, like, one little small thing could blow up in a good way or a bad way. And I, I don't know, you can't really prepare for uh, the, the only lesson is just be as good as you possibly can. Give it everything. Because if, if, if it's like a dream that you're chasing, if, if, if someone's like, this, here's your goal right here, but it's a little bit out of your reach, you're going to do anything to reach that. And that's like the effort you got to put into it. It's just got to be 100% effort, like all the time, or, or else someone else is willing to give it more than you and get further than you ever will. Most I agree, nobody can go at 100% all the time. You know, everyone has highs and lows, good days and bad days. How do you get through the bad days? Like, if someone's struggling to get out of bed or they've been trying to, like, produce music or release songs for six months, nine months, a year, a year and a half, and it's not happening? I would say change up a little bit. Change up your approach, whatever you're doing. Swap it around. Say if you come into write a new song and you you sit and you write guitar songs in your bedroom uh, with a vocal line, and you keep on doing these and nothing's happening. Try and write a song with. Try and make a drum beat. Try and uh, use an instrument you can't play to think of melody or something, and uh, and just take a different approach that might kind of widen you. Because I think quite a lot of the time. <clears throat> The way that at least I get stuck or I get into that frame of mind of like, oh, I can't do anything is because that is almost like having a horse with blinders on that you're just seeing the one the one approach to something. But without even knowing it, there are going to be a thousand different approaches, at least with music making. Um, you can you could co-write with somebody else. You could uh, try as I said, play play a different instrument. Like it's and it's not like instruments are hard to get their hands on and just going like ba 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 you might find something you're like, that's kinda cool. I could loop that. I could put a drum beat on that and then I'll try and sing over that instead of singing over straight guitar chords. 
or if you're like a kind of electronic producer where you're doing all this sort of thing, I would try and find someone who might be maybe a wee bit more kind of quick with guitar just to open the mind up because very quickly you can get narrow-minded and think that what you're doing is the one thing that and the only thing that you can do where there's all different styles of music out there and it's hard to be like this is the thing that I'm passionate about and so I'm going to make music like this it's hard to take that thought process and turn it around and be like you know what but I'm gonna try put a reggae beat on it like Mm -hmm. you never know and sometimes mashing up two different genres together is something that kind of makes something new and fresh like I'm I'm working on a song at the moment which I I just wanted to have it kind of one one note the whole way through it and just have like this intense thing that builds into a big heavy like loud in your face like ah sort of thing because my band don't do things like that so so I've got this thing and it's just it's just like a kind of a, a clap and a kick and a hi-hat just going to like and a bass just going like or something like this and I thought okay all that needs is just like a kind of a slightly aggressive vocal line on there but um Don came into the studio and picked up the guitar and he starts playing these really nice chords over it and I was like oh this isn't necessarily the approach I would take but that is like my blinker vision being like this whereas Mm -hmm. just this one mad aggressive sounding song could actually be widened out and it's almost like like Radiohead style guitar playing over like an LCD sound system rhythmical track and so if if I just was like if it was just me doing it I would have been like okay there's that one one dimensional kind of idea but with the collaboration of another person it is just giving it a new light and it's given it a new approach and a new kind of a new angle to look at we recorded it I was like I've not heard anything like that before yeah like so I'm like cool that, that, that's good to me like <laughs> well I guess it's always be like playing around with your creative muscles right and it's yeah. funny because I view musicians as creatives I guess sometimes forget that even they can end up in a rut's maybe not the right word but siloed yeah. focused on their one thing yeah, their absolutely. one skill set their way of thinking and they lose the elasticity. Yeah, and then once you lose that, then you lose the vibe, you lose the drive, you lose the dream. When you give it 100%, it's more just like never stop thinking about the goal. Like even on your down days, if you're like sitting in bed, you're depressed, just be like, you know what? I want this so hard. And even if you do nothing that day, the fact that you're thinking about it and it's on your mind, like that's what I mean. It's just always something to do with the with the band, the the music project, the song, the the business. The it's it's just like what can I do to make this better? Like I'll wake up every day now and just be like, what can I do to make this a little bit better? What can we do to advance this a little bit further? Or just plans down the line, or what can we do in our shows that is a wee bit different or oddball that we haven't tried before? And it's just constantly having that in your mind so that if anyone asks you anything about your band you kind of almost have an answer for it because you, you see the vision or at least you see what you hope it turns into well on the note of like your drive and your work ethic 
having people around you who are able to come in and start riffing with you and share creative ideas, now would be a good time to tell people about your living situation. So I live in a recording studio, which I know is incredibly handy for what I need to do. I've got the singer of my current project and guitarist of my current project living in the house with me. It's three bedrooms, a couple of bathrooms, a kitchen, and then a big live room and the studio that we're currently in. It's a blessing and a burden in the sense that when everything is at your fingertips, you can totally take it for granted and be like, oh, I can do this whenever, really. I don't need to get out of my bed in the sense of if you were booking in studio time or if you're booking a rehearsal in a studio, you have to get there at 12 o'clock or you have to get there at like nine in the morning or something and you've got three hours to make work happen. I've got unlimited time here and it's all my stuff and I know how it all works to to the level that I'm at currently. So it's kind of awesome, <laughs> but also can be pretty bad in the sense of like, ah, we can just do that whenever though. Like, Well, it's, it's interesting. The reason I wanted to bring that up is because the way we discussed it before is Lewis can wake up in bed, walk downstairs, sit in the studio, got no windows, so you have no idea. You, you kind of have no idea what time of day it is. Yeah. So it's interesting that you're saying you feel you've got all the time in the world so you can kind of keep putting it off. But you've definitely had like waves where sleep down here, producing music. Yeah. Bed, producing music. Ten days where you didn't eat, you just drank water and orange juice. Yeah. You've maybe not quite refined the balance of not doing anything or doing too much. No, I absolutely haven't. On that creativity, you live with two guys who are in the band who obviously you get to riff with, you get to share creative ideas with. By being in here and being so focused on work, does that keep your edge? Does it lose the edge? The edge in this house goes up and down like like the tide. It's like some days we'll be in and we'll be like, yes, here we go. Like, let's get the song done. A song can blast out in like 20 minutes and then you record and it takes a couple of hours and then you're like, we've got a demo, here we go. And other times you can't think of anything, anything not to do with music. So it's, it's handy to have the ability to, as you said, wake up, come down, do it, mm-hmm. go to bed. It, like, if you need to sleep, it's it's all here. Also, being inside this, like, almost ecosystem of the band, you can sometimes hate it, but, but, but I mean, in my in my head, I, I can hate it sometimes, but I'm still like, but this is what I want to do, this is my dream, so I'm like, I'm going to push and fight for this, because I'm into the, the music that we're doing. And for everyone else in the band, it kind of goes up and down as well. It's it's kind of like I guess having good days and bad days. Sure. But my I always believe that everyone in my band they would rather be doing this than maybe working a job or like um or or or, or kind of doing anything but it. Everyone wants to do music quite a lot in here, mm. and so everyone can push hard. Everyone can kind of like bring their own elements to this room and then in this room I can kind of mix it all together which sometimes works and sometimes doesn't it's 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 very kind of hit and miss it's it's a weird one because music is an art it's not so much like what you put in you get back out it's like you put everything in there's a chance nothing comes back out like there's a chance that no one no one will like the music no one will be into anything that we're doing 
Well, so you're working towards something big. Third band coming up, Moy. Yes. Excited for it? Yeah, I think it's really good. We've been writing for maybe about a year and a half and recording for about a year and a half and just building up songs and kind of trying stuff out to kind of discover the identity that we want the band to sound like. We've got a super talented singer and songwriter. We've got two guitar players who are amazing at playing the guitar and an unbelievable drummer and I'm playing bass in the band and I'm fine. (laughs) (laughs) Nice. Modest. (laughs) And when we play together, it's powerful sounding. It sounds great live. The recordings are sounding pretty good. So it's just kind of... But we're still just wanting to kind of take baby steps with it to kind of learn the environment of what we're entering into a little bit before we necessarily dive straight in and go like, oh, well, let's play gigs, 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 and here's all the music we've done, here's an album. Because without making a little bit of a ripple or a little bit of uh, an impact, then all that stuff kind of can just get washed away. Well, with two previous bands, do you think, you have an idea what kind of journey this is going to go on? I'll still be cynical about everything, but um, everything is, even from my first band to my second band, that the build that the band took against the second band that was definitely incorporating the internet a lot more to create a little bit more of a hype about it. So, so I have no idea what it's going to be like for this band. I mean, I'm very happy just sitting writing and recording music. Like, I enjoy myself quite a lot there, but it's also fun playing shows and it's also fun kind of letting people hear the music and whatnot. So I think it's probably about time that we start kind of releasing some some tracks. But um, at the moment, we're just kind of releasing kind of oddball songs to just here and there to kind of build up a little bit of a library because... There, it's not so much I I don't think about like if you find someone and it's like oh my god there's that one song and then you're just obsessed with this artist until they release something else like I think it's like if you find something you want to dive into that band now and you want to see what they've done before and you want to see the music that they've produced before, the, you want to see the photos of what they looked like before and with all the social media platforms you've got all that so so we're kind of like just building up a little collection of music online and kind of holding off our kind of I guess bigger sounding songs well that's still quite tough when what you were saying before one thing comes along and the next day or week later people forget so it's quite totally because I mean if you've got one song and maybe like a few photos or something I think it would maybe be harder to keep the attention of somebody than if you've got a little bit more kind of depth to it. That's just my opinion. Obviously, there are bands that 100% do it and they'll have a song and it just clicks and then it's like, oh my God, and they very quickly release their next single. So it's almost like a planned thing. There isn't really any right or wrong way to do it, I think, unless the right way is just write the best song ever. In in our in our first band, we had the songs that were like, these are going to be the singles. This is what we're going to release. And the labels were like, these are the ones that we're buzzed about. Um, but we noticed that the songs that people weren't talking about in the in the label were the ones that would go down really well live. And we'd have certain songs that maybe didn't have a traditional song structure. 
So it'd be like, instead of being like, oh, here's your introduction, your verse, your bridge, your chorus, your instrumental break, your verse, your bridge, your second chorus, your middle eight and your chorus, we would have a song that was just like a bunch of verses and then a big chant at the end or something. And those are the songs that the audiences went wild for. And we're like, why would we not release these? So you you don't really know what is a winner or what is a loser until, I guess, you stick it out there. But... Um, well, do you think you're predisposed to like your own biases? Like you're like, this is a great song, but what you love may not be what the masses love. Yeah, I think a lot of people have that, and it's just uh, to get over that. I would just listen to a lot of music, a lot of pop music, even if you don't like pop music. Pop music isn't just cheesy pop music. Pop music can be like like the Strokes or something, or like a, a rock band that are popular, and you can kind of judge from there like you can almost like borrow what they do and apply it and then they try and recreate that if you're struggling and be like what is it about this song that makes it so good is it the playing is it the chords is it the melody and it's probably going to be all those things but just lifting inspirations from places i think is a good place to start if 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 you end up you're struggling i mean it's heavy duty trial and error yeah so much i mean i think my we've maybe got like 14 songs completed and maybe about 60 ideas with some of them at the 90 percent finished stage some of them at the 60 percent some just like some chords on a guitar so it'll be like most of the ideas will be musical or and dom will have a lot of kind of lyrical ideas which will be like in his notes in his phone or something like that so it's quite handy to have that as well, where it's like, because I'm not a lyricist, I don't write lyrics. I, mm. I don't personally kind of, whenever I listen to music, connect with the lyrics. I more connect to the musical side of it. So it's quite handy to have him who cares hugely about lyrics, the way it's sang, like, and, and, and all these kind of little smaller things that won't necessarily overlook but i am more focused on other elements of the song yeah you cover each other's strengths and weaknesses which is yeah. what i imagine you want you know what you're good at and you stick to it okay so last two questions i was trying to think of a new way to word this what is one thing that you've learned that you think everybody should know i, th- I think that everybody in them has got a kind of more powerful drive than they believe in their and it's a matter of kind of harnessing it. Whether you're doing music, whether you're doing art, fashion, or you're working a kind of nine to five job, whether you're trying to raise a family, whether you're trying to start a brand new company or something like this, if you have that goal in mind, you will hit obstacles and they will suck and you will stumble. But all these things that you do to get there are, are kind of lessons that you learn. And if you keep on picking yourself up from those, you will eventually, even if it's the tiniest little steps up what seems like a forever the huge staircase, you are still making the little tiny steps because you're focused on it. And I think that knowing that no matter how bad or dreadful things can get that it's not it's not kind of over until you say it is maybe that just applies to music actually I'm not sure but it's it's kind of like it's, it's also just like 
you can kind of frame the environment that you're in in whatever way you see it as as well. Like if you feel like you're in a kind of toxic environment and you're like, oh, I can't get out of this. Like you, you can, you can walk away from stuff if you feel like you need to walk away from something and it's not the end of the world. Like, I guess it's kind of like knowing, I know I say a lot about putting everything into one, this, this one thing, which is what I like doing. But at the same time, if the, if it doesn't work out, like you can transfer that hope and that power and that kind of drive and the dream to something else if you want to. It's because it, it, it I see a lot of people sometimes get so brought down if things don't go their way. And I don't think it's ever as bad as it seems at the end of the day, especially if it's like a business or it's like a a project or something like that. I mean, we we tried very early on with our market, which we, we kind of started the market based on it's a cheap market for people to sell their stuff at. And then it kind of evolved into like, it's kind of like a cool place to go and hang out and try interesting new foods from new entrepreneurial chefs I guess like people trying to start wee food businesses mm. and but there would also be all these kind of cool little stalls you can pick up some trinkets and whatnot um, and we tried to advance that <clears throat> and take the market to other venues and we tried one at a pub uh, down the road from us just because they wanted to bring more people into the pub we thought cool we'll give it a bash and but we thought cool we'll we'll call this thing like the park lane boutique so it was going to be a more specific style of stuff that we were going to be selling at it or the sellers would be selling at mm -hmm. it and it, it didn't it, like hardly anybody came along that day it was like a crazy snowy this was like beast from the east year right I so remember, like yeah. nobody came to it and all that stuff and we were kind of buzzed about expanding and having this new idea and we put this thought into this offshoot and we were going to start another social media accounts for like the different markets that would pop up at different places and it didn't really work out and it's, it's not like devastating or anything but we were kind of like a bit bummed out that it wouldn't it, it didn't have the same draw that we have here well why didn't you try again like you said it was beast from the east weather so when it was that level of snow you yeah. know it can't be comparable <clears throat> to if it was a normal day surely because i mean we i mean on like a, a bad day at the market when we get like four or five hundred people coming through the the market throughout the day on a good day you can maybe have two thousand people come through the door oh wow okay we know when we know those numbers we know how to work that and we're good at that and we've kind of grown the market and i mean i'm not doing that much on social media i like the market could be so much bigger than than it is if we if i just kind of hammered in to this thing the the idea of doing it elsewhere involved us like having to move a lot of our stuff from here where we store everything and it was kind of like a toss-up between like do we want it to grow in this direction and we did at the time but then you look back at it and be like no we could just do something more interesting here and it's just kind of like that thing at the start where it's like you can have the blinkers on and you can think you've got the ultimate plan but you're not seeing the big picture and the big picture is We've got a pretty cool market that I run from outside my house and a lot of people enjoy it, a lot of people come to it, a lot of people make good money at it and that's kind of perfect unless it's something that feels very naturally 
like the next step. I wouldn't want to mess with the foundation of what that is. Mm -hmm. And going somewhere else and calling it Park Lane Boutique is not in Park Lane. So we didn't think about that. It was in like some pub down the road. It, it, so it wasn't the thing that made our thing great was the people that run it, which is Harry and myself, the location, which is right here. The stall holders are all amazing, super nice people and super talented. And they make unbelievable stuff. It's just this whole, the whole concoction just works well together. Mm. I don't know what caused it. We didn't go, let's carefully plan out a market. We just kind of did it for a laugh and it caught on. But the idea of trying to recreate that is almost like trying to write a song like the good one that you wrote a few weeks ago. It's almost impossible. And it's almost like you can't, well, I, I mean, obviously like a franchise does it quite easily, but this this thing isn't a franchise it's not it it, it is what this place is mm -hmm. unless we start to like buy out the street and we kind of expand that way that's the only way that i would want it to leave this lane like fully organically yeah we were going to because there was a market across the road from the lane called the farmer's market that was run by the council they would they would maybe charge like 72 pounds for a stall from eight o'clock in the morning till two o'clock in the afternoon and so we were like, that's crazy. Let's charge 30 pounds for the stall from 11 o'clock in the morning until four o'clock in the evening. And if you want, if there's still people kicking about, we can go as long as you want to stay for. So it's the flexibility that we can afford here. It's the it's the place. I, I don't know, the place has got the the energy in it. It's it's not necessarily me and Harry that like bring the the brand out, you know. It's just the right balance of Everything. things. Yeah. Right time, right place, bit of luck, all yeah. that. So it's and it's like, you know what? Sometimes we'll do a market. We've we've had markets before in bad weather and maybe like we're lucky if a hundred people come to it and you're sitting there for five hours with like what, twenty, twenty five people there who are who have come to the market to sell stuff and there's like hardly anyone there. And that sometimes makes you feel like, oh my god, this is this is so rubbish. And everyone knows you can't control the weather yet, uh, and everybody knows that it's, it can sometimes be a gamble. But in those situations where everything's pretty crap, I'm always just like, you know what? You can either be down about it, or you can be like, this is rubbish today. Like, yeah, sorry about that. So I don't charge them for their stalls, and they nice. And yeah. I'll give everyone free food sometimes if we're serving food. And you just have a good time. Because, I mean, realistically, if you make someone leave and they're like, oh, I had such a dreadful day. It was cold. It was wet. Nobody came. I didn't sell anything. And and I paid my stall fee, which is pretty damn cheap for, for what kind of markets are. They probably won't come back. But if they go, ah, oh, it was a pretty rubbish day. I got so wet. It was funny. But you know what? We, we got food and we were having a laugh and we were listening to music really loud and it was just like a good environment. Yeah. I'll probably go back and try it again. It I mean, takes... I guess they're your customers <clears throat> and giving them a great customer experience. Yeah. That's the one thing. We'll, we will have people come back. I've, we've had people at the market who've sold nothing and so they come back and they sell nothing and it might be their, their product at the time that they're selling it, whatever. 
but they keep coming back and sometimes I'll just be like, you can just have this one for free. And sometimes they sell something and they're the happiest person in the world and we're like, yes. Because everyone is there for the same reason and it costs nothing to be nice. Being nice is the ultimate thing I think and just being like you know what you can make someone's day worse you can make someone's day better what one do you pick it's like it's an obvious option you just try and make everyone happy and make everyone comfortable and and feel good same with music in here if ever if 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 it's not working then sometimes not best to force and just be like you know what let's just have a laugh let's go play a computer game watch a movie watch some tv shows or something it's not worth kind of negativity entering into your life if you can avoid it like it's making the best of a bad situation no matter what that's i could yeah you, you should have said that <laughs> <laughs> it's gonna take like 20 minutes no like. but that was good but we will leave in that list thank you so much that was great sweet everyone i hope you enjoyed listening as i said at the start any subscriptions following the social page sharing on your instagram story is a huge help to letting this thing grow thanks to the pandemic i've got a lot more free time which means more time to edit the episodes and get them going weekly so you can expect next week's episode to be coming featuring richard davis from abandoned ship thanks again guys